DL Talk Radio Season 4, Episode 1. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 1 of TL Talk Radio, a podcast with Lynn Funy-Hetton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funy-Hetton. Good afternoon, Randy. Hi there, Lynn. <laughs> so today, exciting guests. We're speaking with Dr. Connie K. Chung, co-author of Empowering Global Citizens, a World Course. Dr. Chung is the Associate Director for the Global Education Innovation Initiative at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, a research practice policy collaborative that works with education institutions in nine countries. Her field of research is in education for the 21st century, civic education, and global citizenship education. She's a co-editor of the book, Teaching and Learning for the 21st Century, Educational Goals, Policies, and Curricula for Six Nations. In pursuing her research interest in ways in which people from diverse backgrounds can learn to work together and to leverage their collective power for positive change in their communities, Dr. Chung was involved in a multi-year, multi-site study of education reform and community organizing in the United States. The results of which were published in the book, A Match on Dry Grass, Community Organizing as a Catalyst for School Reform. A former public high school English teacher, Dr. Chung is taught as an adjunct lecturer on multicultural education and also has been a curriculum consultant in the development of a global citizenship education curriculum. She holds degrees from Harvard College and the Harvard Graduate School of Education and her greatest sense of satisfaction has come from working with young people. Welcome to our podcast, Connie. Thank you, it's nice to be here. We're so glad to have you here talking to us about this important uh, issue of global citizenship. So starting with your book, Empowering Global Citizens, tell us a little bit about the history behind it and the driving purpose uh, behind the global citizenship curriculum that's presented in the book. Um, so we were given the opportunity a few years ago by a school that was being constructed from the bottom up, um, a K through 12 school, which wanted to have its focus developing um, globally competent students when they graduated. Um, and we're given kind of a free reign around if you were, could design a, a global citizenship curriculum uh, framework for these students, you know, what would it look like? Um, and so a group of us got together and started to brainstorm um, exactly as you have in your um, district about the, the profile of a, comp of a graduate. We started with a picture of what would a globally competent, um, globally competent uh, student look like at the end of their schooling, K through 12, and then designing backwards from that what kinds of um, opportunities in curriculum would be helpful to developing that kind of a person. And so um, we designed more of a curriculum framework and guidance um, for kindergarten through grade 12 um, a few years ago. So one of the things that uh, can happen in education is that there are so many different initiatives and so many things that get uh, put out there that look attractive to people. And I think that we need to understand the why behind uh, the importance of some of these things. So while it might be obvious for some people, share with our listeners, why is global citizenship and a global citizenship curriculum something important, something that we as educators should be paying attention to? 
Yeah, I think it just comes from this larger question of what does it take to prepare students to live their lives well? Um, and in particularly in this century, um, as the world gets smaller with the rapid development of technology um, and cross-cultural and cross-country uh, migrations and different people rubbing up against each other in different uh, scenarios and situations, um, with the world actually shrinking, with a concern for environmental sustainability um, and the ways in which corporations and even work opportunities are becoming increasingly global. Um, one of the subsets of the answers to the question of how do we actually prepare students to live their lives well is the sense of can we develop them to be globally competent people, um, which includes a, a range of things. Um, and also I want to add that it's, it's not that, um, you know, globalization has not been happening and all of a sudden it happened last century. I and mean, if you look back at, you know, imperialism or colonialism or even just trade routes um, between different countries, it's been happening, you know, for centuries. Um, but it's just that in this particular century, it's, it's, uh, it's becoming rapidly, um, I guess, spread to the point where it's not just, you know, one or two people from a company or one or two people from a country that needs to be globally competent, but that everybody needs um, these kinds of skills. And so I think that's where the the, global, the idea of global citizenship for all students uh, kind of came into being. And taking it a step further, can you talk to us a little bit about the sustainable development goals and how they connect to the curriculum? Yeah, I think um, this has become something that's relatively newly developed in the last year or so um, as the UN has developed or articulated these sustainable development goals. Um, and so when we had um, designed this curriculum originally a few years ago, SDGs were not part of the conversation, but the MDGs were. And so we had explicitly kind of looked at, you know, what are the challenges that the world faces, um, challenges that are big and broad and complex and that will require people to kind of cooperate across sectors and across countries and across organizations and NDGs came in, were, were uh, on, our, uh, on our mind at that point. And then as the SDGs came into being in the last year or so, we updated the curriculum to really include um, these sustainable development goals. And if you look them up, they, uh, they are quite uh, broad ranging in terms of covering things like um, uh, inequality uh, across from gender um, to financial sustainability to environmental sustainability. Um, and again, it's just we were just looking for what are some, some broadly articulated mm -hmm. kind of commonly and globally agreed upon issues that we would like to prepare our students to be ready to address um, no matter what they do or what they go into. So this is like poverty, ending up ending poverty, um, you know, peace, justice, and strong institutions, partnerships, life in the oceans, life on land, climate action, affordable energy, responsible consumption, um, and all these other kinds of things. And we do have those um, linked in the show notes for our listeners to check them out. So we talked a yeah. little bit about why global citizenship. Um, and if we take this idea of global citizenship or global competence, uh, what does what distinguishes that? Um, I think one of the things that we as educators really need to understand is all this terminology that comes our way and, and what is global competence and what is it not? Mm -hmm. And if you could, if you could help distinguish that for our listeners, please. Yeah. So I think one of the ways that I've tried to unpack this term is 
this notion of um, I, I go with global citizenship competence because I think um, citizenship within it, citizenship competencies within it embeds this notion of you're preparing to be part of um, a society, um, either a smaller community or even a larger national community where you're valued as a contributor or a citizen. So you are both receiving the benefits of being part of society, but hopefully also learning how to contribute back to it. And then if you layer onto that the sense of you belong to something that's bigger than you, um, who from which you draw both resources and to which you would contribute, the sense of global citizenship competence to me feels like this notion of, oh, we're not just part of a community or local community or a national community. We are in fact um, part of a, of a global community. And so even if you, you know, were born and raised in a small town in the middle of the United States and never ever venture outside of that town, I still think that given the United States' role in the world, for example, who you elect to be your representative to the Senate or to Congress, the decisions that they make about the kinds of roles the United States plays in the world um, is really impactful. Um, and so, again, it's not about you know whether or not you have the means to travel globally or anything like that, but it's just that the reality of how interdependent we are as um, people who belong to countries that influence and impact each other people who belong to organizations or even cultural movements that uh, impact and influence each other, being aware of what those interdependencies might be um, and, and ways to, to understand and to influence the direction in which the world is going, I think is a core part of um, this definition or this notion of global competence. So again, I feel like we've almost lost even the, the chance to say, I don't want to be part of this. It's, we're so economically, mm -hmm. socially, politically interdependent and interwoven with each other that the best way we can influence that is to say, in which direction are we going to be interdependent and which ways are we going to cooperate and collaborate mm -hmm. with each other for what kinds of ends and through what kinds of means and enabling our students to be aware and to participate and to even disagree with um, some of the ways in which we are, we are doing this, I think is a really key thing to add um, to the slate of competencies that we would like to see develop in our, in our students. I, re I really appreciate those distinctions that you're making because I think that um, with global citizenship competence and, and many of these other terms that are flying out there in the field of education, we come with this sort of notion like, yeah, we know what that is already. Um, and I think that you're framing it in, um, I would say, a, a richer way mm -hmm. um, than most of us have thought about this in the past. So I really appreciate how you're distinguishing that for our listeners. Thank you. And I'm scanning through the sustainable development goals and thinking about um, making connections to our profile of a graduate and, uh, you know, how our curriculum will need to be revised in helping promote those characteristics that today's learners need for future world, world citizens. Um, you know, some of our, some of the characteristics that we've identified, some skills, critical thinking, creativity, um, collaboration, but also some of those um, characteristics, critical thinking, cooperation, ethics, intercultural competency and awareness. Can you give us an example of what this could look like? Any one of those or any one of the, the um, SDGs, sort of at an elementary and a middle and a high school level, sort of the big picture for our, um, our leaders or learners or teachers who are listening? 
Yeah, um, and then I also I also definitely do I'll pull some examples from the um, the curriculum the book the Empowering Global mm -hmm. Citizens uh, curriculum book, uh, but I also want to frame that in a way to say that this is also about encouraging young people to figure out uh, understand you know where does my passion and my talents meet the world's needs. Um, what's my purpose and my mission? Where do I, you know, if you look at, you know, the positive psychology movement or studies about well-being or about how people flourish, one of the key components of that is enabling people to figure out what kind of meaningful contribution can I, can I make to the world? Um, and so connecting that desire to have purpose and meaning with actual real life um, issues that are outlined perhaps by the sustainable development goals but certainly students can be encouraged to look outside um, of that as well and then drilling it down to making the curriculum that you're teaching to a kindergartner or an eighth grader or a high school student relevant I think is really is kind of the key idea behind it and how educators do that of course will depend on the context in which they're um, working in including local context and then the students that they're helping. Um, so I think I can't take out from the curriculum equation this notion of you know figuring out where are my students you know mm -hmm. finding their passion, what do they really like to do, what are they what are they already good at, and then kind of connecting that with the larger purposes of this global movement um, would be really helpful. So mm -hmm. um, as an example of that, I'll start right from the middle, which is like um, I think our grade eight curriculum. This is on on my hard copy, page two ninety of the Empowering Global Citizens book, and I had fun designing this again. This was you know with a particular group in mind of students, this new school that was going to be starting in New York City. Um, and this again, this notion of globalization is not new but relatively old. Um, and this activity was asking students to kind of become a, a researcher of their neighborhood and um, take note of and find out, you know, um, in a in a New York City neighborhood, you know, what does it look like in a 17 in 1710, 1810, 1910, and 2010, including you know what was the size of the population, what languages were spoken, what kinds of religions or faith practices were were held, what is what were the major businesses, um, and then take a study of you know how did these neighborhoods evolve over. Um, these centuries, the last four or five centuries, and how does that reflect the migration patterns um, that may have taken place um, in New York City? So again, getting students to realize that this has been happening for a long time, um, and then developing kind of concrete research skills and curiosity um, and um, intercultural competency and awareness, I guess, to see, you know, what are you, what's around you and how do you respectfully ask uh, to ask people around you questions about, you know, where do they come from and, and, um, and who are they? So that's one example of kind of grounding it in the local context, but asking students to do that. And then students also do this in teams, we encourage. And so um, learning how to assign roles, you know, we're going to give you this task, how can you work with your team members to figure out what tasks need to be done, who's going to do it, how will you discuss, you know, how you're going to actually cooperate and work with each other to produce this product at the end. So the, the pedagogy has within it um, cooperation and collaboration and uh, critical thinking skills for the students. So that's um, one example of an activity. Um, at the kindergarten level, we were focusing on looking at um, diversity and so you know as 
children are learning, you know, shapes or clothing or names of things, you know, take note about the diversity of clothing. Um, take a note about the diversity of favorite colors that your your student that your classmates um, might have. Um, and so we embedded uh, different reports around, you know, what are my favorite my family's favorite things. Um, what about the clothes that I wear? You know, what do pants look like in different environments? Um, what does houses look like in different environments? Homes around the world was another activity that we had for these kindergartners. So again, just taking that um, a common notion that's already maybe being taught in uh, kindergarten and then layering onto it this notion of explicitly and intentionally looking at differences um, across countries and contexts. Um, and then I guess one example from the high school um, units uh, would be looking at, you know, what about public health? Um, and it's just looking at some of the um, advances that have improved public health. And if you look at um, some of the history of that, many of it is, is many of those took place because of cooperations between organizations and between countries to solve really big issues. Um, and so learning from that, you know, what does it actually take to solving an actual problem and having students um, see that innovation at all, again, it's not a 21st century thing. I know that we've become um, quite enamored with it in the last decade or so as educators, but innovation and entrepreneurship, it's been going on for centuries. Um, and anytime that anybody tackled a significant problem involved, you know, designing and innovating, collaborating. So, you know, again, kind of getting students used to this idea that this has been happening for a long time. I mean, what are some ways that we can learn more and be inspired by um, these examples? Because one of the things I think I found as I was doing some research around how do you create, you know, students who are change makers, um, one of the researchers has found that if you give them too much exposure to a problem without some examples about how they can be solved, um, students can actually become overwhelmed and say, well, that's not solvable. Mm -hmm. But if you can um, balance the exposure to problems with exposure to previous examples of people who have been able to address these issues successfully, um, then they're much more kind of inspired and enabled um, to even think about the challenge of, of being able to take part in addressing them. So I'm making a connection between the curriculum and the idea of, of learner-centered and learner agency that Randy and I have been um, working with this year and you know I heard you finding ideas around kids um, passions and talking about their communities and their neighbors you know is that intentional that this curriculum is learner centered and if so can you give us some other examples yeah, I think it's, I mean, I, um, you know, my background of having been a high school English teacher, um, just I think I can't help but think about, you know, how do you make this curriculum engaging and relevant to students so that the motivation and engagement is built in. Um, and one of the things that I, that I say as I reflect on my teaching days was, you know, when I went into the classroom, I was very enthusiastic about the literature that I was teaching. I loved English literature and really wanted to share that love with students. And by the time I exited or left, I had a passion for, oh, I'm not actually teaching literature. I'm using literature to teach whole human beings. Um, and so using literature to, to discuss the things that are on the students' minds about how do I navigate my friendships, um, my relationships with my parents, like how do I even figure out what I want to do? I feel this anxiety around I need to know at age 17 what I need to do for the rest of my life and just kind of having that conversation of saying, no, 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 many people change. 
um, their career trajectory and they're always, you know, constantly learning and evolving and figuring out what they want to do. Um, and so just kind of, I think it, it's just kind of almost, you know, without trying, uh, became a, a, a central part of, of the curriculum. Um, again, with this goal of if you really want to design curriculum that students are, are um, engaged by, you can't, you can't go around this notion of figure out who your students are and then kind of find a way to kind of feed on and build what they already bring into your classroom. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the examples that I give was, again, when I was teaching and, and didn't, you know, have a clue about, you know, what global citizenship competencies meant, but I was teaching a, a novel called Animal Dreams by um, Barbara Kingsolver for my AP Lit class. And at the end of the year, or actually during, during that time, I had just kind of, you know, unearthed like a page of data statistics about literacy rates around the world, because one of the characters in that book is like a Peace Corps volunteer um, in a Central American country. And to just give a little bit of a context around what does the world look like outside of the United States, just passed out a sheet of um, uh, statistics and didn't really have anything more um, to offer to the students beyond that. But what the students did was they were quite shocked. Um, by that data, um, and a group of them decided, oh, I kind of want to, you know, help solve, address uh, this issue. And so they came up on their own with this idea of, oh, let's raise some money. Maybe we can sell, maybe we can, um, you know, collect, use, I mean, books that people have on their bookshelves that they're not reading anymore. And maybe we can ship them um, to these countries where children's, children don't have access to libraries um, and to books quickly figured out that that was going to be really expensive. Um, but then problem solved that by saying, you know, we're going to then hold a used book drive and sell them to people, collect the cash, and then take that money and donate it to a NGO that's working on um, providing books to children in these countries. And so the students on their own, just from having been exposed to an issue and then figuring out that they can actually do something about it in that process, kind of almost design their own curriculum and problem solving and entrepreneurship and, and whatnot. And so I was constantly surprised by how much my students were um, capable of doing and how much they cared and how much they really wanted to kind of make a difference in the world. Um, so I just, I just use that as an example to say sometimes I feel like as educators, we don't know um, what our students are capable of until you kind of give them the opportunity to, to express that. I appreciate that uh, story as well as the examples that you shared from the curriculum. And having spent some time with this, Lynn and I were talking this morning about what are some ways that we can start to uh, expose our teachers to some of these ideas. Um, so I think this is a definitely an excellent resource that you and the other team of authors have put together um, that can be widely used by um, by school districts that are interested in um, this digital citizenship curriculum. So as schools implement this, and maybe going back to the school in New York that this was originally designed for, um, it's not always a, a, a bumpy uh, a, a smooth ride, I should say. There's bumps along the way. So what would you say were, were some of the barriers uh, that can come in the way of achieving this vision um, that the curriculum promotes? Um, I think just at, at, you know, again, drawing from my experience of having like, worked in the classroom, 
just the sheer amount of time that you need in order to really understand a new thing that you're doing as an educator, figure out how you're going to make room for it in your curriculum, and then really trying it out with your students until you figure out what would actually work. And I think, you know, we, when, I, when we put this out, we fully understood this was like, you know, the very, very, very seed of something bigger that needs to happen in terms of implementing it within the school. And as we've studied, you know, how do you know, educational change take place, implementation is always the most challenging. Um, and I think people mostly think about, you know, we just need a new curriculum, but not think about well, maybe we need a new structure of how we arrange our time or organize our time or how we, um, you know, enable our educators to kind of work together to implement something together. So I think that's one of the biggest barriers is the, you know, this notion of multiple competing demands on our time um, that already exists. And then how do you layer on a new thing into it? And so my, my gut suggestion would be to try to figure out like, what's the vision for our schools? And then how does this global citizenship fit into it? Um, and then figure out what you're also going to be dropping if you're going to be adding something new rather than layering, um, you know, layers upon layers of, of new things. So prioritizing, integrating, um, and then assigning enough time for people to actually execute would probably be some of the barriers um, to achieving the, the vision. Um, and then really identifying, um, kind of getting buy-in from educators to say, this is really an important priority um, amongst many priorities. And then how do I find a way to make sense of this so that it becomes part of my part of my curriculum. Um, but again, as with you know, good ideas, I think barriers are also you know locally situated and, and, and contextually um, kind of embedded as well. And so, kind of really learning from um, you know wherever you're 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 implementing this, um, figuring out what are the barriers to students understanding um, why or how this is important, and then what are the barriers to teachers learning or understanding that that this is really important and I think once you kind of get the idea um, then it's just a matter of creatively finding ways to um, to be able to execute so you hinted that um, the leadership is going to be really important here and owning owning this and getting it started um, identifying the vision and determining where global competence fits into that vision and then determining you know how can we allocate time to that are there pieces that we are willing to give up so that we have some more time, um, you know, certainly some, some difficult tasks for our leaders. Is there any other advice that you would give teachers and leaders who are ready to explore the idea of global citizenship education? Yeah, I think it's just, I can't, maybe the joy of it is mm -hmm. probably something that isn't talked about enough is, um, if you start small and try, you know, adding like a newspaper article that talks about something that else that's going on in the world, I mean, something small like that, and again, it just all depends on where you are in the spectrum of are you already doing this and you want to do it better, bigger, bolder, or are you just starting it? And if you are just starting it, um, trying it out with your students and, um, and seeing, you know, are there fun ways that I can incorporate this into my classroom and then seeing where the interest grows. I mean, I used to play in between my classes as students were going out and coming in, like music from different parts of the world, right? Um, and then my students would bring in, like they had, you know, they knew far better than I did, like whatever music was in vogue in Asia and that had become popular or, 
you know, um, some of the more kind of cultural things about like movies or drama on TV that were from different parts of the world. Um, so just finding ways that, you know, less about like do this, but more about like, where's, where's your interest? Where can I kind of almost do a soft entry um, would probably be something that I would, I would suggest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then supplementing or, you know, some just starting small. And if you're already, you know, discussing newspaper articles and how do you, as an English teacher, how do you, you know, write in a way like from a reporter's voice or a journalist's voice, and then just layering on as an option, um, ways they can explore newspapers from different parts of the world, um, or topics, um, from different parts of the world. So I think there's just natural fits in, in, um, even in tiny spots. I think again, like one of the challenges of, of educators is if you're trying to, um, you know, cover the whole thing, it's probably too much and too immense. But if it can spark curiosity um, in students and in staff to discover and develop more for themselves, I mean, I think that's far more, kind of, I guess, longevity to it in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. And and then the lessons that we plan are just examples of ways to kind of light a fire in students to investigate and to be curious about about these kinds of things. So I really appreciate your advice and your suggestions to teachers and leaders and as well as the advice for overcoming those barriers. And the reason why I appreciate that is because it relates to a lot of our own practice and we're really realizing that to implement the change that we're looking at, you know, from our profile of a graduate kind of vision is that it's about changing mindsets. And you need to give people time to do, you need to give people time to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not a top down thing where there's a formula (laughs) for everybody to follow. We all have to, (laughs) as educators and, you know, whatever our context is, have to internalize what does that change look like? Um, So really uh, connect with the advice and uh, the suggestions that you make there. So to wrap this up, what's next for Connie? What are you currently working on that you'd like to share with us? Uh, so we are just finishing a couple of um, uh, books. One is on, you know, looking at this, exa- examining what does it take to develop the capacity of teachers and organizations to teach this more kind of more broadly um, uh, articulated goals for education about being socially, emotionally, globally competent. So we looked at uh, programs in, I think, seven countries um, and tried to document and analyze what do these programs have in common as far as building capacity? Um, the second book that we're finishing up right now, we were we looked at 50 different organizations all around the world um, and then called it down to a case study of 10 of those organizations um, who are doing work in global, not only global competence, but things like financial literacy, environmental sustainability, health mm-hmm. and fitness, design thinking, creativity, um, and then again, try to figure out, you know, what do they have in common in terms of the ways in which these organizations are operating. Because one of the things I realized as I was, uh, you know, doing the research on 21st century competencies is, you know, there's one way that researchers talk about um, 21st century competencies, which is about social emotional learning. Um, But then I thought, well, practitioners talk about those things, but they also kind of work in this world of programs. And I think, if we looked at programs that focused on global citizenship, but I think within that they also develop students to be socially, emotionally, cognitively competent and can we find, you know, can we analyze across these different topics, some things that they have in common um, would be another one. Um, and then I'm really getting interested in this issue of leadership development um, for leading well in 
in a way that enables um, other people and creates space for other people to um, to live well. So I'm, I'm personally getting really interested in this notion of leadership development for the 21st century and what does that look like? Again, my background having uh, you know been around interfaith community organizing and how do you work across different sectors and different groups to solve a common problem. Um, so I'm finding myself as I'm you know learning about these uh, school districts and governments and national education ministries that are doing this well, I could, couldn't help but notice that it took you know a leader who took a stance and said, this is a priority of like you know 100 priorities, these mm-hmm. one and two um, are a priority and I'm going to actually create the space, the political space in which the people who are working you know um, in my in my in my jurisdiction, are able to kind of have the room to make these kinds of shifts. And I think mm-hmm. um, it's one of, it's really important and critical and which is why I'm, I'm so glad that you are, you know, doing this podcast and really trying to increase the conversation um, around these kinds of things. I think it's a, it's an important um, leadership quality um, to be able to create spaces in which people can thrive um, and be able to, you know, contribute to, to whatever the larger purpose is. So that's, my next thing i think sounds fascinating looking forward to looking forward to um seeing those items <laughs> get released are, are yeah. you pretty far in the process or just getting started yeah the second book is um the second book about, about capacity building has been accepted for publication the third book we're working on the proposal to get it accepted um and then the leadership thing i'm hoping to kind of return back to my original thing and again that that book will hopefully be released soon enough. Um, yeah, so all on the pipeline yeah. right now. Well, very exciting work and certainly connects um, to the work that we're doing with our teachers and leaders. And you provided us some really great resources um, for our listeners. We have linked uh, the books and some of the information about the Global Education Innovation Initiative and also those sustainable development goals, um, the 17 big ideas that Connie talked about early on in the episode. So thank you so much for joining us, Connie. Um, And we look forward to learning more about your work and seeing what you are producing next. Great. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Very nice to speak with you. Well, thank you for being here. This has been a very enriching and enlightening conversation. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Each episode, we leave you with a question or two to think about with the idea of provoking some conversation. This episode's questions, what is the value of global citizenship education to your school community? How can you begin leading conversations in global citizenship education to help transform your learning environment? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just connect with the resources shared, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season four, episode one. That's all for this episode. We'll be back soon featuring another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Connie. Thanks, Connie. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.